What's up, Chad? Chad? Chads? How's it going, guys? How's it going? Chad Cow, GM, GM. Long time no chat. No Chad. Long time no Chad. <laughs> Welcome back, Chad. Sorry, but so my voice might sound a little off just because I'm I've been sick lately. So that, if I sound weird, that's that's the reason why. All good. I heard the, the the intro music got a refresh too. That was that was chill. I was feeling that. Yeah, it was pretty slick. Yeah, it sounds a lot better. Uh, I think I they upgraded just, uh, spaces a little bit. It looks a little bit more slick. Yeah, I think they've added some some like at least stability. I feel like it's been a little bit more stable lately, which is good. But I noticed like in the in the Weird. title it says store chain spaces eighty three. I'm like, oh my god, it's been eighty three spaces, right? We've been doing this for That's crazy. years now. Yeah, it's been a while. It's weird. I'm getting a glitch right now, though. I can't. I can't mute myself. Weird. Now it's working. Okay. 
False alarm. I'm good. <laughs> we got we got to do something special yeah, for we're... like a Thor Chain Space is number one hundred. We got to do like something something interesting. It really depends yeah. on how you count it because the the numbering has been a little uh, little wacky. Like it really depends on what you include. Like I, there might be one or two of the Discord stages included in there, and yeah, close enough. Others are just not included. So, but you know, ball, ballpark eighty three. Yeah, yeah, right That's now. good enough. We don't, we don't want to be exactly precise, but it would be fun to do something fun for like the hundredth. You know, like um, for sure. We'll, we'll figure. Something. We definitely should. We could do like one like in person. Yeah, it's funny. I'm not sure. It's funny, on one hand, 83 feels like a ton, but on the other hand, I feel like it's been like, it feels like forever that we've been, that we've done these things. So it's kind of, on one hand, it's kind of crazy. We're only at 83. Yeah. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Well, we do like once a week, it's 52, in a week, 52 weeks in a year, blah, blah, blah. So. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like Joe Rogan someday. It's like Thor Chain Spaces number 2083. <laughs> oh my God. We'd all be so fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chad will be dead by I'll then. I'll probably be dead by then. It's a good, it's a good chance of it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Throw Chad <clears throat> under the bus, dude. He's he's gonna be living forever by then. Oh god, I'll be I'll be I'll be uh, immortalized on the blockchain. You'll be converting Rune into like life extension drugs and stuff. <laughs> like it'll be sweet. <laughs> hey, you put on an Apple Vision Pro and you just see Metaverse Chad there. He gets to talk to you. Yeah, well, I'll upload. For three hours I'll upload straight. my uh, my Apple persona from my Apple Vision Pro, and then I'll you know people can <laughs> people can talk with my face. <laughs> it's like it's like that AI. We had this idea a while back of like the AI Chad B, like that you could just ask any question to, <laughs> like and it would be trained. It'd be trained by this space, so so you'll be immortal uh, on these spaces. That, no that's what. actually like more practical it. than you might think. You could actually take all the spaces. Upload them into um, I forget the name of that software, but like it's like a video audio editing software, and then just converts it all into text, like audio to text, and then you can it separates voices by like the sound of their voice as well. You pull them all out, and then you just train a chat GPT. That's actually much more practical than it sounds. Yeah, sounds feasible. Let's do it. <laughs> Side project yeah. for somebody. Who's your cell phone carrier again? <laughs> Never mind. We'll, we'll go over that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going on in Thor Chainland? What you guys, what you guys want to talk about? Uh, well, there's been a couple of interesting things in not Thor Chainland. I don't know if you guys saw those uh, new Satoshi emails that that came out. Also, there's an AVAX block halt, total block halt. So, like, those are two interesting things. I was. Well, I, I haven't heard about the Satoshi email today. thing. What, what's that about? Same here. Uh, What's up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I've just been seeing it a little bit around on Twitter. Um, I, I guess it's just an early, a very early contributor. Um, just had a big archive of uh, Satoshi emails, which are not the previously public that are kind of out there now. Uh, just it, it, it's, it's not anything like you know, groundbreaking, but it's, it's a little bit more uh, lore and like early thoughts. Pretty interesting to to read through some of the uh, some of the emails. There's a lot of them too. Um, I've, I've did any seen, did any points? Yeah. Did any points like stand out to you or anything memorable? Um, let's see. Uh, nothing that really jumps out at me. If people like I, I did, I was like just skimming through it right before this space. But if anyone like saw anything really interesting from it, um, 
the, actually there wasn't one one idea about like backing bitcoin with uh with cash <laughs> and i was like that okay well, obviously that didn't pan out but like <laughs> that is good um just some like early ideas about like yeah adoption. maybe the other way around yeah yeah <laughs> it seems that i mean obviously Satoshi was a pretty smart dude and like knew a lot about um you know bootstrapping this kind of network i think he had his own thoughts about btc scaling but like he also got to take it with a grain of salt too because you know he's looking at it from way way back and obviously um you know just one person's opinions so there's actually it was a guy cool though. Uh, a long time ago and, and people um this is even before that i was in crypto and he was hired to create the Bitcoin logo, right? But at that time, like, he didn't even know what Bitcoin was. Like, just, you know, just some fucking graphic that I have to create. Like, did, had no idea. And he completely forgot about it, right? He got hired, he made this fucking Bitcoin logo, completely forgot about it. And then, like, three, five years later, what the hell it was, Bitcoin started to be, like, talked about in the news. And he saw, like, the logo. And he's like, that looks really familiar. And he ended up just, like, trying to claim that he invented Bitcoin years ago. <laughs> it was pretty it's pretty fucking hilarious this was like i don't know if it's like 20 2012 or something like this i guess he didn't get paid in bitcoin and that that would have been uh that'd be kind of like that story that the guy who painted the murals at facebook and may, ended up making like 200 million dollars off of painting like murals at the facebook headquarters yeah. or something like that <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Assuming he did not get anything for uh, making the Bitcoin logo. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Avax hole is just something that's you know obviously um, interesting, just because they've normally been a very stable chain. They don't they've been, haven't had a, like a lot of issues in terms of like halts or or like major issues. So it's interesting that they they ran their 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 issue, and, and of course that, that affects us. And this is just the ongoing cost of like as we add more chains. Whatever shit they're going through, it, it, it kind of like splashes on us in some form because it causes us to, to react and pause trading or something like this, and like you know deal with any kind of <clears throat> transactions that get stuck or anything like that. Just causes like maintenance issues for us as well. Yeah, it looks like they fixed it though, and uh, I think we unpaused signing, so I'm not sure if, if trading is back up online just yet. But they're pretty quick on the response, and uh, it looks like it was some kind of issue where the their uh, AVAX nodes were like gossiping way too much. They were sending like millions of messages back and forth and just lagging the hell out of each other's nodes. And that kind of like <laughs> brought everything to a halt. So uh, kind of looks like it looks like their their blocks are back up and running. And uh, I'm not sure how long that response time was, but it was only uh, only a couple hours. Looks like I'd be curious to understand like to read the post mortem because generally speaking, in my view, if you have a like a block halt entirely. Um, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the longer that it takes to fix it, the more decentralized the network generally is, right? Because you have to get more people to get involved and engaged and like download this new software, blah, 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 whatever the fix is. And if it just, they just did it in two hours, that just, to me, that, I mean, I have to look at the details to be specific. I'm not making any claims about AVAX, but, but that, at its face value, it makes me a little bit, uh, you know, gives me a little bit of a red flag.
Yeah, that kind of thing is probably hard to test. Like, I'm sure they have a pretty comprehensive testing suite, but something like a some kind of gossiping error, like maybe that's something that only comes up on mainnet. I mean, I mean we, to be fair, like we see stuff like that, you know, where it's like only something that you'd see on mainnet, which is why, like, you know, uh, we have the stage net running and don't do test net anymore because there's so many issues that only come up when you're actually running the network, like in right in uh you know in real time at scale right but I don't that wouldn't pop up but even like it, it, unless if they release some sort of bug that fixes it it should take a long period of time for people to to like install it it shouldn't happen in like two hours because most people are fucking sleeping like you know running around the clock so it's just like unless the issue itself is transient like the issue is like oh something happened like I don't know, some sort of network segmentation or something like this. And it's a transient problem and it's resolved itself without anybody actually, you know, getting involved or doing any actions, then it's probably fine. I wouldn't, I would, I would kind of like, you know, it's a non-issue, but if they did release a software update that required everybody to like download the thing and everybody did within two hours to me, I'm like, okay, that's okay. <laughs> in that's in this case though, it's, it's still halted, right? So that that's not what's happening, right? I think I Kyle, didn't, didn't Kyle say that they're producing blocks again? No, I they're yeah they're going through blocks again. I think as of like like half hour ago, gotcha. maybe or an hour. Yeah, but generally speaking, like long downtimes of a of a network is generally a good thing. Obviously, it's not a good thing, but it's also like a good thing signifying the decentralization of that. Like right. Solana, for example, like a lot of those nodes, like. Totally in friends and whatever, like they, they they have connections and relationships with people, blah blah blah, and they can like call them up on the phone and push things along. For us though, like we when we push out an update, there's no one to call. We just put out a notification, and we have to wait, to wait for the rest of the world to like read it. You know? Yeah, that's also because we like as a you know as a community value the decentralization of the network and, and hold that above a lot of other things while a lot of other and not to like say that AVAX doesn't or anything but right. um you know like like a lot of cosmos chains for example like it's it's just not the same type of mentality and and we and like obviously it's needed more for thorchain because thorchain itself is as an exchange that is like you know it's completely different than you know most other most of the networks where it's like, all right, whatever, you're just going to, you just trust the nodes to, to run it and you, you could delegate your, your coins to whatever node that you trust. There's like, there's like 10 of them. What was, what was that? There's like some Cosmos thread going around the other day where it's saying like how many nodes are needed to stop like each chain. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. You, you could haul pretty much any Cosmos chain with like, like four or five validators, uh, you know, colluding or going offline or something. It's pretty crazy. Right. Uh, yeah. For us, it's significantly higher than that. I did. I did the analysis. Actually, I think I have a little Python script on my on my laptop that I that I wrote just to like do a Nakamoto score like a, um, analysis of Thorchain itself and figure out how many unique node operators there are and then what percentage of those you would need to be able to stop the network. Blah blah. blah. It's it, it's it's pretty good. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that that uh, that ranking go around in, in quite a while, but I remember Thorchain was ranked quite high. I think Solana was too, actually. But yeah, who knows if like yeah yeah. But the problem with that is, like, even within Thorchain, like, um, it's hard to really get a good Nakamoto score. Uh, to be uh, not so much like, it's, it's hard to really know the quality of a Nakamoto score because even me, say I have like, say I have five million room, for example, and I can run five different nodes at five different addresses 
at five different locations, like one in Sydney and one in New York and one in like, you know, fucking Singapore, whatever. And, and, and then from a Nakamoto score perspective, that would be considered to be separate people. Right. And that, that's the tough part is like, even somebody that has a high score like Thorchain, it's hard to know whether that has that score, the quality of that score, because there's no way to know if there are people running multiple nodes, but as separate entities, you know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's like what you're saying with like, like totally your example, like even if there's a, a whole bunch of nodes, you don't know if like multiple are run by, uh, within like one or like multiple org organizations or something. Yeah. And for us, we're actually better than most in this particular regard, because the way we do Asgard sharding takes into account, like you running, say, say I actually have five nodes and I'm running all of the same address. It'll put each of my nodes in five different Asgards, which actually creates much more security for the network. So there is like an actual incentive for node operators to run, you know, those who run multiple nodes, at least to run them under a single address because it actually increases the, the quality of the security of the network by doing so. It makes it m much more expensive and, and difficult for somebody to simple attack a, a specific Asgard address or one Asgard vault, right? So there is an incentive in our network to, do, to, to, to not, you know, have five different identities for one person. Uh, that doesn't mean that nobody's doing that, of course. I can't, I just never, I'll never be able to like validate whether that's, you know, the case, but there is an incentive to do so. And I, and I personally have encouraged operators in the past, like, you know, publicly in channels to like run it all underneath one address because it actually improves the security of the network. Yeah, I was um, just looking at how many nodes are on the network. I, I think we might have just um, been at the most amount of nodes that have been validating Thorchain blocks at 105, I think. I don't know. I don't know if we've ever reached greater than that, but I think just last turn we were 105. Now we're down to 104 again, but um, we were at 105. And the 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 spread of bond between nodes is like is super tight too. Like the the maximum is like a little over a million, and the minimum. I mean, the minute the lowest node in has like 500k, and the second lowest is like 860. Mm. Pretty much, almost every single node is over 900k rune bonded. So, like the the spread, like there, there's really no real lopsided distribution of like you know uh, uh, some nodes have like a ton of rune, like some have have a little. Like it really does seem like the whole um, push for like effective security and like maximum effective bond kind of it really worked to distribute things in a pretty even way which, naturally which is what we wanted that was part of the goal we, we don't want we want each asgard vault to, to hold the same relative the same amount of security like give or take right and if you have one asgard vault that has like you know 80 percent of the bond then you're going to naturally like overload that particular asgard vault with too many inbounds and too many outbounds and you're not really using the full like um, TSS signing of all the five different vaults. You're just like putting 80% of the pressure on one vault. So th there's reasons why we like to have the bond be like kind of equal relatively, like not doesn't be like exactly equal, but like, you know, within a reasonable vicinity of, and all the economics of like, all right, you're not going to make more money if you're beyond the effective bond and you're not going to, you're going to get churned out if you're the, the lowest bonder and that kind of stuff, that kind of pressure from the top and the pressure from the bottom just naturally kind of pushes people kind of, towards the same place which is which is what the, which what's what the behavior we want yep 100 percent um 
let's see. I was also like doing some math yesterday and I, I tweeted this out like a day or two ago. Um, just about like the split between liquidity fees. Like, so when, when someone makes a swap and they pay fees, where, where does it go? I was just, you know, trying to figure out like how much, so if there's a hundred dollars in fees, like how much does a, how much the nodes get, how much do the LPs of that pool get and how much do the savers of that pool get? And it's actually pretty interesting. And it was less going to uh, savers than I, than I thought there was, which is probably, which I, which I think is like really positive. Like, I think it's a good, balance that we that we have right now for how much go to towards like each different uh like actor in a pool so so let's say you make like a, a swap through the, the the bitcoin pool and there's a hundred dollars you pay in liquidity fees 32 dollars of that goes to the nodes so that's split between every single node of the network 58 dollars goes to the the bitcoin rune lps so if you're a dual LP, 58% of the liquidity fees go to the Rune BTC LPs, and then $10 goes to the BTC savers. So they're earning about six times as much as the BTC savers. Uh, obviously, they take on the risk, uh, the price risk of um, a Bitcoin. They take on the impermanent loss of those savers. But um, it was kind of interesting to actually like do the math and figure out like how, exactly how much more that they're earning than the savers. It was a much bigger difference than I would have would have guessed yeah and that's at the current uh you know incentive pendulum and savers uh utilization ratio yep. but that's that's kind of how things break out right now yeah i, I just shared the uh tweet in the, in the in the space here if anybody wants to click on read more but yeah th i love this tweet like well, well done kyle on writing this thing because it was a really great um uh, tweet that you put out there and like just my knee-jerk reaction, like because I didn't know either. Like you, you, you kind of informed me, which is great. And I love to see more of these kind of like data-driven tweets from from the community in general. Would be awesome. Um, but my my knee-jerk reaction when I saw this tweet was like, one, this is fucking awesome, well done. And then the other one was um, this kind of ratio of how the funds are being divvied up between the different actors is relatively like right, kind of where I expect it or where, where I would like it to be, right? And it just kind of validates the the um, the design and validates the economics, validates the mathematical um, aspects of the, of the network to produce the end result purely on market dynamics, produce the end result that I think makes the most logical sense, which is pretty crazy to think. Yeah, I agree. This was a great tweet. Um, it's also interesting just because there's been like a lot of discussion about like how like how can LPs be like extra, how can how can LPs be incentivized enough to like make sure there's deep liquidity and all that. And it, seeing this breakdown, it's like oh damn, like it already is. <laughs> like everything yeah, is yeah. kind of everything is kind of already weighted in a way that makes sense for everything to like balance out. You know, it, it actually what we should do Kyle. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, is it like. We display to savers and to LPs like what your what the yield is, blah blah blah. But maybe it makes sense to to like in to display like what is the relative yield between LPs and savers, right? As a way of like expressing to them to to, to a regular LP that like you're you're getting more yield than than they are, and here's how much it is, blah blah blah. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Like some kind of metric that's just like a. Uh... You know, you know how like we have the pool share, the, the, the pool uh, share ratio for the incentive pendulum. Yeah. So that's how like how I calculated this. And it's only available in like one spot. Like it, it's like it's not easy to, to find if you don't like know where to look. So like I think maybe working with some of the UIs and like servicing some of these metrics might be a, might be a yeah, good idea. Like I'm, I might yeah. talk to Thorswap about like getting this uh, 
getting this up this, there because yeah. I mean it might be need to be available in Midgard first and all the data sources, but like I don't think it'd be you know it'd be pretty easy to we, we can add it to, to like, we, we yeah. can add it to like you know Thornode or or Midgard to make it easier for the UIs and we can call it like the LP Premium or something like this or I don't know maybe that's the wrong term to use but something just, just to convey yeah. to people this because it's really because yield as we all know fucking going off of yield is just like really problematic for a whole host of reasons it's always just kind of misleading in one form or another either misleadingly yeah. high or misleadingly low and this is actually more like a real kind of thing to look at yeah but i think the i think the hardest part to convey is like what actually happens in in the reality of holding an lp position because that like that yield is kind of assuming the prices stay flat right whereas really lping is like this complicated thing where prices are moving you're like rebalancing constantly so it's like a much much more uh sophisticated investor or somebody that really understands what they're going to like you can't just have people see like 58 percent or 10 percent click the higher one you know like that's actually like like that's yeah. that, that that's going to steer a lot of people the wrong way because like you can you you can perform worse if like the assets like like it's a strategy right so people have right. to understand that yeah of course. right it, and you're right. It, it is kind of complicated to be an LP. There's a lot of like moving parts in a sense. And that was one of the motivations to build savers was just to have a very simple thing that people could like, you don't need to understand a lot. You can it's just, it's cognitively low load in a sense to understand savers and you can just get some yield and, and it's simple and you don't, you know, have to be a fucking math expert in a sense. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's just too hard to, put the LP yield into one metric, you know, like there's no one metric that can just say like, this is what the yield is. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, you earn this, but then you also take on IL risk and then you take on the IL risk of the savers or which can be either positive or negative. So it's like, uh, you know, there's so many moving parts. It, it just can't be captured in one metric, which is why like I advocated for moving away from the Luby based thing, because it's just like, it's just so confusing towards, um, towards users say so I, I like i think it's important obviously it's important for lps to understand like what risks they're taking but at the same time like it, it doesn't really properly capture like the revenue that they that they bring in from fees yeah. which is a lot and and the reason i even looked into this in the first place because on, on thorchain.net on the homepage, it kind of shows um how much lps and nodes are bringing in on a daily basis and lps i mean this is as a whole not not any individual pool but like every day for the past like Uh, like every day since October or something, uh, LPs have been earning like 150k a day or something, like like a, a pretty big amount, and nodes comparatively yeah, yeah. less. So I was like trying to see what, like, you know, how is this actually breaking down? Because I, you know, I see people complain about like LP rewards, and like obviously when they don't gain the value, that's because of the IL and savers IL and things. But I was like, how much are they actually? bring in it's, it's it's quite a bit in just like pure earnings which ha obviously has to offset the you know the risk of il and things to yeah. make it worth it to lp yeah if, if i was looking back now like i didn't think didn't think much about it in the beginning because um LPing was kind of already established in the industry in some sense but <clears throat> like if i was going to build a ui uh, that does LPing, you know whatever kind of like a throw shop or whatever i think i would it would, wouldn't give you like a, a, an overall yield i would just say like Here's what you've made in fees. Here's what you've lost from IL, like, and, and then have two different graphs, kind of showing over time these two things. And so you'll see that the 
the fees is constantly going up and to the right because it's, it's only at only additive right it's only going it's adding more and more value and fees that you're collecting and the second one's going to go up and it's going to go down it's going to go up and down it's going to fluctuate one direction or the other based upon market conditions and prices moving and that kind of stuff and then the third one you can you can add in if you want to be extra about it it's just like the monetary value of like a dollar form and how that's shifted over time of, of your position right is it okay for me to speak up real quick hey, go ahead go for it what's up um so I've had a suggestion for perhaps a new way to think about APR. Um, I think Luvi is actually a good idea, but the issue now is that it's just looking at such a small um, slice of time. What I don't know how computationally expensive this would be, but like you, theoretically we can measure every LP position in a given pool, right? And so then you can just use the Luvi metric on each position and then do a weighted average of those positions over like say the last 30 days and then that is a good representation of how that pool is doing because even if lps are making good fees from swaps i think what you're hearing from the community is i think a lot of people's lp positions is those those gain the yield from the swaps are getting eaten up by il and then the il to the cents and the savers and so that was just my idea of a perhaps a metric that better tracks the actual performance of the pool for the LPs. Yeah, I mean, that's something like that would be possible. Um, it would be uh, probably fairly computationally expensive because you maybe probably just calculate once per day, looking at the L, all the L, current LPs of the network and what their statuses are and, and that kind of stuff. The problem is, is that Luvi itself is a little bit is, is problematic because because synthetics exist because synthetics kind of play with the math of an AMM. Um, you can have a negative Luby and it's legitimate. Whereas if you don't have synthetics and you have Luby, it'll, it'll, it'll should never go negative in, in, unless there's something wrong with the math of the, of the aim in itself. So I think um, it, if we were to get rid of synthetics one day, like hypothetically into the future or whatever, if we just decided to remove it for whatever reason, um, then that would be much more practical. But until then, the synthetics would probably fuck with the numbers and wouldn't be as, as like aligned to reality. Well, but my understanding is, I mean, Luvi isn't fucking with the numbers, but due to the way synths can enter and exit, and it's like LPs are losing. Like, I mean, they're in the uh, the Luvi calculation subthread in the Thortam Jev um, channel on Discord. Multi parity when he looked at a, a theoretical Bitcoin rune. LP position from like last January to this past January. So a one year um, Rune LP position and Bitcoin or Rune outperformed Bitcoin by like 55%. And still that LP position lost 2% compared to HODL. And like, if, I mean, if you're LPing for a year and Rune is outperforming Bitcoin and you're still losing money compared to L to holding, then there's no incentive to LP instead of holding. And I think that's dangerous for the network. Well, that's 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 the thing with that's nothing about Thorchain, man. That's about AMMs in general. Whether you're talking about Uniswap or any other hundred that exists, if you are LPing in a pool where you know in some time 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 span, the yield that you generate in one year, let's just say, is less than the the price movements of between asset A and asset B, then yeah, you will be like a negative two percent to use to, to use a number. 
blockchain is a little bit what makes us unique rather than you know relative to a uniswap or somebody else osmosis or whatever is it because of our slip based fee model it's much more effective in the sense that it produces more fees than you know a uniswap would with the same amount of volume or whatever so it's we are better positioned than most amms in this space but we're not um impervious to the results of um you know one asset outperforming or out, uh, underperforming the other in, in an amm pool That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Th yeah. Sorry. Thank you for taking my question. That yeah. That all checks out. Yeah, yeah. Also, Boone, great thread on on lending. Uh, well written thread. Everyone should uh, give give you a follow and uh, keep the post coming. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Uh, Chuma. Yeah. Chuma. Chuma. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Doing good. What's up? Ah, caught me off guard. Um, I didn't request to speak. Oh, oh you did, but <laughs> it's all right. You probably just did it by accident. Sorry about no that. Worries. No worries. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. The other thing, the other uh, thing we, lending, um, the other thing that happened was that the two hundred percent CR change that we had. Yes, sir. So, yeah. So, lending ADR twelve has started to be enacted. So that means that CRs are for lending are two hundred percent. You can get a loan with fifty percent LTV and any Thorchain interface, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, that's it's live right now. So the 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 sixty million rune of uh, the 60 million uncirculating rune burn it didn't happen yet. That'll happen on the next Thornode update. I think uh, I think it's version 128. So I would expect that probably sometime next week um, or, or so, like sometime in that order. But there's still space in the lending, um, so it really doesn't make a difference whether you know you, if you want to take out a loan now or or later. Um, it all all that burn does is create more room for the lending protocol. It's not a burn of circulating supply. So uh, ADR 12 is already effectively enacted and then that, that rune burn will take place and create even more room for lending. And uh, it's, it's a ton of room. I think it, it creates, so, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 million rune of space, which is like somewhere around 100 million in space for, for lending as a, as a whole. So it's going to be a ton of space for the lending protocol at a flat 200% CR, 50% LTV. So uh yeah, pretty pretty awesome. I've been <laughs> we're pretty excited about that. What are you guys' thoughts? Well, yeah, one of the fu the fun things was to to watch happen, and I suspected this. I think we expected this was like going to happen, but it was you weren't sure what the numbers going to like kind of end up being in reality. Was that the idea that like a lot of people who open up their loans at like you know a three hundred percent CR or, or three fifty or whatever the hell the number was, like they can now close their loans and then reopen it and then get a higher debt, like, you know, which is a, a much better deal for them. Right, which is great. We actually want that activity, more training, more swaps, you know, more inter interaction with the network, and also it kind of upgrades all those loans to be, you know, into a into a um, safer safer state, right? Safer for the for the protocol. So I was curious to know, like, you know, how 
would that look like? Would there be like a mass exodus and then a mass reentry on, on day one, or like how much of that would, how many people would withdraw and then like come back in, blah blah blah. And in reality, I think we went from like ninety percent or ninety five. I think it was like ninety percent full, and then we withdrew down to around sixty percent. So we lost like thirty percent before we made the change to two hundred percent CR. Which was I would so people were doing this like preemptively, which was kind of fascinating. Um, and then once we set the two hundred percent CR, people started to like enter in. You can see like a graph of like this kind of up and to the right kind of graph of like all the people kind of re-entering and more loans being opened. And so we've gone from like in the last few days, we've gone from like sixty percent um, uh, capacity of the cap to nothing. We're now at like eighty four, eighty five percent. Right, so we're almost back to where we were um, before we did this, this the CR change after a few days, um, which is kind of cool. And by the way, that also means that um, the amount of loans that entered and came back um, is not one to one. It's it's kind of more. It's probably more closely like one to one point five or maybe two, depending upon some things. Because when you close a loan at three hundred percent CR with a lower debt, in the end you're gonna like <clears throat> you're gonna you're gonna use up less of the cap space when you come back in, right? Because because the net um, buy and burn on the network will be less when you come back in. So when we go from sixty percent and then back up to where we were before, that that's not like a one to one. Like oh, everybody left and then everybody came back in. Technically, that's not correct. It would be everybody everybody left and then they all came back in plus. The more capital came back in, you know, whatever amount that might be. So, it, it, so we did see an engagement uh, so far, and obviously it's early; it's only been like a few days, obviously. But we've seen a lot of people leave and then come back in, paying fees to do so, um, getting a better, you know, deal for them, but also safer for the protocol at the same time. And we're, the utilization of that cap is almost back to where it was. So the benefit of the protocol has been basically the same as it was before, but now it's safer because it's 200% CR, but the cap that we've been using is almost the same as it was even just after a few days. And it kind of proves uh, what my thesis was or my, my hope was that when we went to a 200% CR, the increased demand in, in lending will, will make up for the losses of each individual loan getting like a less of a value from the protocol's perspective. And then we're at the net result is all the borrowers are happy because they're just getting a better deal, right? There's no, there's no real downside from their perspective, really. And and for us, we're getting, you know, we're still getting all the, the benefit that, that, that we want to get. We also got a bunch of loans closing and opening, which caused a lot of, you know, swaps to occur and fees to be generated, right? And trade volume to increase for those, you know, for the last few days which is good. And so like, I, I felt very good kind of seeing that kind of validation in the market. Right. And then also what did you take it even a step further? Like in this scenario, like let's just say, um, uh, uh, Bitcoin's pumping, right. And, and it's doing very well. Arun's like stationary or whatever. There was a kind of a concern that some people had, you know, even within like the devs of like, you know, people are going to close their loans. They're going to take, take profits. They're going to blah, blah, blah. Which some people will definitely for sure do that, but the activity we've now seen is that like is that people are also keen to like just improve the quality of their of their of their of their of their debt, 
you know, they're keen to, to close and renew and they're open to paying the fees to do so to do so. And they'll and they'll get the higher debt and get more money in their pocket, you know, instead of like just dumping the situation and like selling the selling the Bitcoin or whatever. So it shows that there's an interest in, in that kind of activity and within the community itself, which is a kind of a validating uh, signal that, that we saw the last few days. In general, I was very kind of bullish what I what I saw. Yeah, one thing to keep in mind, I think, with with lending is um, we so with all the activity, a lot of people opening and closing. I think there was a bad band thread. He said it's the the biggest you know couple days of door chain lending. I think you know a couple million in loans being opened and closed per day. Uh, that the derived asset pool depths have been uh, have been shrinking because that's that's the way they're designed. When there's a lot of lending activity, those pools contract, and that means there's more slippage going in and out. And it also kind of nerfs streaming swaps as the derived pool depths shrink. There's less streams you can do. So and be, and there's remember when you take out a loan, it's something like four swaps to uh, to get to the uh, uh, to get your debt out, right? So uh, without without streaming at all, um, it, just make sure you're checking your slippage before taking out a loan. And if slippage is bad, that means uh, it's it's better to just wait. It's, it's flat 200% CR, so there's really no benefit to you know taking out a loan now or later, besides just like the general price of, of Bitcoin. Uh, so like just just keep in mind that uh, the derived depths really shrink in high activity. And if you're trying to take out a big loan, especially then or repay uh then it might be best to just wait if you're experiencing a lot of slippage was that because people a lot of people were closing loans or does just opening loans also shrink the depth both do it because anytime you're so um it's not the opening and closing loans that cause the derived asset pool directly to, to shrink it's just the swapping of the layer one pools themselves and because more loans are being opened and closed it's just more mm. swapping of the layer one pools inherently so and then particularly the uh, stablecoin pool, the Tor pool, um, it's re- it's a lot more shallow relative to Bitcoin. Uh, at least it was. Before. We actually added some new anchors to the pool to make it even more deep, uh, to deepen it even further. But it's it is relatively speaking to Bitcoin, for example, it is considerably more more shallow. But it's getting you know half the volume trade volume of Bitcoin. Right, and so it, it's just natural, and it's um, whether you're doing Bitcoin or Ethereum, they're both trading with like the stable coins in, in, in the sense of like doing um, the, um, the Tor stuff. So it's just like <clears throat> it's just that, that that activity just kind of caused specifically the Tor pool to, to to fall quite sharply, you know, uh, to a, to a low low depth. It should recover on its own eventually, um, and we'll keep we'll keep an eye on it, of course. But but yeah, that's an, it's an interesting result. Yeah, we so uh, two stablecoin pools were added. Um, so we lost BUSD the other month because that's obviously being deprecated by by Binance and Paxos. So that's not really a thing anymore. And that was a really deep stablecoin pool. But we do have two new stablecoin pools that are um, in the Tor anchors now. So that's uh, USDC on AVAX and also on Binance Smart Chain. So I also believe that means both of those should be open for savers as well. So uh those those are just open tour anchors now, so the, those will both add to the the depths of the uh, of the tour anchor, hopefully. Uh, brought up uh, paradox prints. What's up? 
Hey, hey guys. Uh, nice meeting you all. Uh, I actually was a first time lender today on, on Torchain via Shapeshift. Uh, I missed the first boat because the CR fell. So thank you for bringing it back to 200%. Uh, one of the things that I just want to say as a, as a, like a proposition to Chad, my expertise are options and I'm not the first one that actually mentioned that actually mentioned uh, the similarity between this lending and the in the money options. And I actually opened the loan to hedge some of the options positions, but I think Torchain might be in the future in a great position to be the first decentralized uh, options protocol with native Bitcoin by actually mimicking or utilizing a very similar model to what they are doing on lending. So just an idea and writing options could also uh, help fix the impermanent loss of, of the LPRs if they, for example, decide to provide uh, at the same time liquidity for both options, writing options and, and swaps. That's about it. Yeah, I'm open to exploring uh, concept, those kind of concepts and ideas. Uh, in general, I'm kind of open to exploring kind of more professional trader kind of tools. And the first one we're talking about is, is limit orders for order books, which is kind of the most simplest and probably the heavily, most heavily used like pro trading kind of like mechanism. We're also talked about like perpetuals and, you know, like leverage in that sense. We can talk about options like you're saying as well, like, we can take a we can take a look at other kind of ideas primitives we see uh, used in, in like the pro trading circles of of crypto to kind of create like Bitcoin native perpetuals and Bitcoin native uh, limit orders and Bitcoin native options and which as you pointed out lending is in effect like like a put option right um, and so you, there's a lot of possibilities there and there's a lot of capital that can be and activity and usage that we can we can kind of like pull on and to get more uh, util utilization of our network and utilization of our pools like you have to remember like almost everything we do is just all just focuses um trade volume through the, through the pools in one form or another um so i'm totally open to exploring those things into the future with, with the rest of the community thank you very much yeah oh looking forward to it Kenton, what's up, man? Hey, guys. Good. Uh, congrats on episode 83. Uh, these, these are fantastic, guys. I, I don't always tune in, but I always listen to the recordings. So, so thanks for doing them. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, I just want to, I thought I'd go over uh, my reasonings for kind of why I'm, I'm against lending. Um, you know, this concept of innovation has come up as kind of an excuse to justify it. And I get that we're all, we're all in, you know, that's why we're all here, but just like, you know, adding a new chain to trade comes with some risk. Maybe it's not worth it. You know, that the, you know, that we're not going to get the trading volume from it. It increases the attack surface, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So maybe it's not worth it. And I, I think that's just, you know, the people who are maybe kind of against lending, they don't see it worth the risk. And to me, the risk is, you know, how does it, how does it unwind? And, and I'm kind of curious if everybody who's in, you know, in favor and support of lending, are they going to hold their rune through the next cycle? You know, or is this, or is this just, you know, kind of a degen way to, to pump the price and then everyone's going to exit? Um, you know, I don't know. And I, and I kind of, you know, I'm hearing from people that's how they're going to trade it. 
So, so that's my concern is, is how does lending unwind? And I don't think any of us, you know, we, we truly don't know, right? There, there's no really, really way to know um, until it happens. So, you know, for me personally, my, you know, my interest or the reason I'm against lending is just because I'm interested, I'm interested in the long-term survivability of, of the protocol. Uh, so that's it. It's not about being against innovation. Um, I just have a couple more, more comments too here. Um, uh, well, let's, 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 let's deal with those first comments first before we go into sure, sure. Add, add more comments. Um, as, in general, I wouldn't use the term innovation as, as an excuse. Innovation is an important part of like this industry. It's what, what we need to do in order to move forward and build more powerful, more flexible, you know, more valid systems in a sense. You have to try things to know what works and what doesn't in a matter of speaking. Um, and I, the other thing I would push against is like I would not consider lending to be a degen thing, to be honest with you. Uh, I consider it to be quite the opposite. Like To me, lend, our lending model is the least degen lending model out there just because the use cases of why, why you would use this lending is to not necessarily degen to like lever up yourself on like three X long. I mean, you can, if you want to, it's, it's you can use it for that case if you want to, but where it really thrives or where it's really kind of adds value to, to, to people and societies is not for degens to like leverage position themselves, but rather to allow people to like, you know, um, buy a car or, or go on a vacation. Like my sister was actually talking to me. I was spending some time with her in LA recently. And, 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 you know, she was thinking about using our, our system to our lending protocol to be able to take a loan and, you know, acquire a new car for herself. Right. And she was interested in that because she had to worry about interest rates ballooning up to crazy amounts or losing all of her Bitcoin in a freaking liquidation scenario and all this kind of stuff. So I actually consider this to be like, it is an experimental concept in terms of mechanisms and, and how it works. Totally agree with you on that. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is that the, the product itself is pretty anti-degen in my, in my view. Does that make sense? I, yeah, totally. And I, and, I, and I do believe that's your intention. Um, but at the same time, you can't, none of us can control how people use it. Right. And there is, you know, it's not going to take long for people to figure out they can two X long their Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and so, you know, in my opinion, that'll be the majority of people using it. And so they're going to look to unwind that trade near the top or, you know, as, as the next bear market starts. And, um, you know, not when they're trying to pay back a car several years from now. Um, but, I mean, neither me nor you can we, – we don't know how it's going to be used, right? Right. Um, so, okay, and this, this is another thing, too. In Discord, somebody asked, well, isn't this well, the oh, same well, way – before? Before you go oh. on to a new point, let me just address sure. one more thing you said. Um, sure. The other thing you said is like, how does that unwind? Right, those that's the kind of one of the topics you, you, you brought up, yeah. which is a good, which is a very valid and a very good question to ask. Right, we, it's a very very valid thing to to, to be to have a topic about. Um, so it it unwinds in the same in the same sense of how it spins up. Right. The the question is, can it unwind back to zero? Absolutely can. One hundred percent would be perfectly fine. I'm not worried about unwinding back to zero. Like if you wanted to kill lending tomorrow, say we just said we're not going to do anymore. Community voted. We're going to get rid of lending. Blah blah blah. Whatever. If if you make the choice to do so, that's actually to me not a problem. Yes, we'll like you know mint some rune to, to do it, but we burnt the rune to get there to begin with. It kind of like 
kind of equates itself out. The problem comes into place is when you unwind it at a, at a high rate of like, you just like rush fucking unwind it. You know what I mean? Like you, there's a bank run of some kind or like, you know, we're telling people you're, you got, you know, one week to unwind your loan or you're not getting it back at all, blah, 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 or whatever. We wouldn't do that. Of course. Like that, I mean, I, I wouldn't advocate for that for sure. Um, and, and I'm and, and and unwinding by itself to me is not necessarily a, 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 a problematic thing. Right. But I would also say that like, that the number of loans that will unwind, even in the scenario where we're actually going to like shut it down or whatever, the number of loans that will wind, wind down will not be 100%. I will guarantee you fucking right now that it will not be 100%. That is the case almost every blockchain in history. You can literally go to like Bitcoin's blockchain, see how many UTXOs have been like older than 10 years old. And a lot of those, like probably even a majority of those are, are like lost Bitcoin. Do you know what I mean? Like we will always have some amount... Even within BlockFi, even within Anchor, like not you, you almost never get a situation where 100 percent of those loans will be closed. Even in this area where you're, you're trying to fucking close it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, even if we did do it, we can we'll have an additional buffer because I don't want to throw a number because I, I, I have no basis to say any real number to be honest, and I don't want to mislead the community. But I'm I'm not concerned about that particular scenario. What I am concerned about is some sort of like bank run fucking scenario where like somebody, you know, the community just like rush exits to the door and there's mechanisms in the code to, to protect us from that, right? With the, with the virtual depth, which we just saw kind of happening in the last few days, right? With all the increased activity, all that kind of stuff, right? The question is if we decide to actually end it because, you know, we saw some signals or whatever happened that convinced us that this lending doesn't make sense in the long term. When we make the choice to, to end it, we're not going to pay people's debts back off for them because that would be why would us, the community or the treasury, uh, pay money to mint a bunch of room that's just uh, fairly, fairly, fairly silly, silly. And and what will happen is people will just kind of end it on their own time. And we and the one thing we've learned by looking at the loans so far, and obviously it's, it's only been six, seven months, whatever, is they've been incredibly sticky. They, they they open they don't really close that that quickly at all, and so it's weird. Ended people would end over multi month, most likely multi year time frame, and I don't mind that at all. That would, that kind of slow burn of the of the feature to to back to closer to zero doesn't have significant effects on the price. Doesn't have significant effects you know on the protocol itself as a whole. It, 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 it to me that's not too much of a concern. The only time it's concerned to me is when there's some sort of like rush to do so. And as we're if we're closing it down as a protocol, we're not going to like tell people to rush immediately because that would be bad for the protocol. It's like take your time, come back when you when you want to, and close your loan when you have the money or whatever you know whatever whatever happens. The thing that's important is to make sure that people don't run for the run for the for the exits. I agree, and I, I I'm not worried about a death spiral because um, when you have a bank run, there's no friction on withdrawal, right? Like with uh, Silvergate Bank and Silicon Valley, people could just wire their money out in one day, right? There's no cost to do it. And they just, that's how they collapse. Yeah. With with lending, you got to pay back your loan, right? That's friction. They come up with the cash to pay it back. Um, and I understand the virtual pools. I get that. So like, I'm not worried about a death spiral. I'm more worried about like a slow spiral, you know, over the course of a year or two, just this constant grind of inflation driving the room price down. Um, well, then, but then you would have the the inverse would have to be true as well. We've had a, a constant growth of room being burnt, blah, 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 to open up all these loans. And now we're just having the inverse also happening in a, in a slow roll back down. And if that's the case, it's basically like 
it, I wouldn't call it neutral because it depends upon circumstances, blah, blah, blah. But like more or less, it's basically neutral. We, we tried it. We got benefit. Didn't work out so well. We, we got the, you know, the, the, the spiral back down, the slow, the slow spiral, if you want to call it that. And it's just slow spiral up, slow spiral down. It's more or less, you know, neutral. Well, then let's follow along with what you're saying. We just come back to where we started, which is, which is kind of my, my point. This is going to be one giant round trip. Yeah. But if we're, if we're back where we started, then, you know, no harm, no foul in a sense. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, then what about the people who, who write it up and then, okay, well, I don't want to go back down and they want to sell. So let's look at rune holders selling, you know, front running this. Um, oh, I, I mean, maybe uh, to be like a slow spiral up and a slow spiral down, like that, that kind of long-term buying or burning a rune. I don't know how much of an effect that has on, on market psychology. I'm not a fucking trading market psychology mm-hmm. expert to be honest with you. But I would say is that like, to, if it's slow spiral up, slow down, and it's more or less neutral in terms of different those things, the value of what it is we're trying to achieve in terms of the protocol and how it's different from everything else is incredibly fucking um, powerful. Like, 4chan should fucking win a, no, a Nobel Prize. If this thing works the way I, I think it's going to work, right? Like, this project should fucking win a Nobel Prize for this shit because, like, we just fundamentally changed, changed loans forever, right? Even within the DeFi space to offer something incredibly powerful and useful for the entire market 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 to use. That's pretty interesting. And that's to me worth the little slow spiral up and the slow spiral down and have that neutrality. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you on the innovation of Thorchain. It's pretty awesome. Um, okay. Let's have another scenario. Let's say nobody's redeeming loans. Yeah. And there's this huge and the liability, but the li- So I, I understand if nobody redeems a loan, it's the best thing for Thorchain. Um, yeah. however, the liability still stays, it still stands. And as you know, nodes, any other rune holder looks at this liability growing, everyone's going to watch the rune to Bitcoin ratio. Uh, where are we at? Where are we at in the cycle? And they might look to front run that. They're like, we don't, we're not even going to wait around to see anybody redeem. We're just going to sell, sit on the sidelines. And Instead of having a bank run on loans being redeemed, what if we have a run on rune being sold? And say nodes are pulling out, they're selling their rune, the network becomes underbonded. And basically, just like what we saw with, um, let me finish that, network's underbonded, we're going into bear market, trading volumes are going down, the yield is down, um, the pools reach their cap, you know, the, fund- the rune price fundamentally can't go up. We're kind of stuck. And as the rune price keeps going down, that's increasing the liability. No one's redeeming, but the but the potential liability keeps increasing. And this is exasperating the rune price going down. Um yeah. thoughts on that. Well, I mean the effect of the rune price is relative to the the, the liquidity of the asset and the amount of liquidity passing through it on a like a you know per day or per week or you know whatever time frame you want to pick right so in our case like last time i looked i haven't looked in a while so forgive me if these numbers are, are off but last time i looked like the the um, trade volume of thorchain is like i can't remember if it's 200 million or 200 rune or something like this but it's a lot either one of those numbers are pretty pretty large we're like the i don't know the, we're like the top 30 largest traded assets in crypto like or something like this we're, we're pretty we're pretty large. a lot of liquidity um, 
and if we're going to sell, sell off, you know, um, the amount of rune uh, that would need to mint back the net, the net like mint, which right now is, you know, in the current moment, it's probably like, um, um, probably close to like, I'm guessing cause I haven't looked at, I don't know thing in front of me, but I'm going to guess it's around 2 million, something like this. 2 million within the context of 200 million isn't, you know, going to really push the price significantly in one direction or the other. Right now we're going to five X we're going to go from the current situation, which you know, we're going to burn the 60 million standby. We're going to increase it by five X. Obviously five X is a lot larger than one X. Right. So the, the larger we get, you know, that this plays more into the, your, your, your thought, your thinking, your, your, your thought process plays more into the effect of this at a small, at a one, one X or even, you know, at a, at a uh, 25 million room out of the, um, of the supply 500 million, whatever it is, it's like 5%. It's not, it's not, it's not going to break the bank really like in one direction or the other. We're just trying to collect data, collect metrics, collect um, market behaviors to understand if how people react and interact with the system before we like go for fucking broke in a matter of speaking. Uh, forgive my, my, my phrase there, but um, so at this stage, I don't really, I'm not really worried about what, you, what you're worried about. If we get to a place where like there's no caps on lending and lending scales from you know five percent to like something larger, I don't know. I'm gonna say fifty percent. I don't know whatever it is. Then I would then your your thought process is is a little bit different because the amount of rune as a percentage of the supply or a percentage of the you know trade volume per day or per week per month whatever is much more significant. They're much more you know it's, it's a it's a smaller ratio between the two of those things. So then, then what you're what you're concerned about has more validity to it, but I would argue that in this particular moment and the, the caps where they are, not really too worried about it. I, I agree with you in a moment. Absolutely, yeah. I, I am talking about like an uncapped scenario. Basically, if we're gonna if we're gonna grow lend, let lending grow to a point where it can positively impact the price, inversely, it can negatively impact the price, right? And as far as I'm concerned, that's the ultimate goal, right? We want to um, we're ex expanding the caps lending right now, see how it goes, then we're going to expand them again, right? The, eventually, that's the goal is to have this positively impact the price. Um, so yeah, so that's my yeah, I'm not talking about right now, this right out second. But I mean, I would also, and, but I would also game. say that, but I also say that, like, we each time we want we talk about we discuss the idea of increasing the caps, we will have more data than we did the previous time, right? We'll have more information, we'll have more data collection, we'll have like. You know, we'll have more market scenarios that showed themselves where tokens had gone up or down or whatever, right? A rune had a bad fucking day where it went down fifteen percent in a day or something like this. Like we'll have more of these scenarios. So when we when we make the choice to increase the, the caps to go larger, we're more um, confident and we're more secure about the design, more secure about what it is we're trying to do. And the odds are less likely that we'll like, you know, wind it back down to zero because we're we're making more and more informed choices and informed decisions as we go up the up the scale. So the likelihood of us scaling it down to zero, in my opinion, is less likely the higher the caps get than it is yeah. when the caps are, are lower. Exactly. Now that's why I was against. That's exactly my position. That's because I know if we the more we expand it, the more down the road we are, more likely it'll continue. Um, have you well, guys I, thought I'm, about? I'm saying we're, we're we're likely to continue not because we're we're just kind of degenerating or lowering our way up up the fucking scale, but we're likely to continue. Like we're, we're less likely to do so because we're we're more informed and we have more information and we're making educated and informed choices about what's what's 
uh, positive for the protocol. Okay, fair. Yep. Um, have you guys thought about like waiting a full cycle, you know, bull to bear before you know trying to max out the caps and lending? Um, yeah, yeah. That's, or that's or, is the, or is, sorry, or is the goal to try and uncap it um, before the bull type thing, or before the bull ends or something? I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm not, I'm not speaking for anybody else here. My viewpoint is this: is that I want to do the 60 million rune burn thing. I want to give that some period of time. I don't know how much. We'll just maybe I don't know six months. I'm, I'm throwing a random number there, but give that kind of time to see how the market reacts. We may want to throw in like 150 percent CR at some point during that process, just to kind of see. You know, if we like go above and beyond what everybody else in the market is doing, like compound Ave, so forth and so on, um, alchemy, whatever, we give them the people a much better deal than we can, and every attribute and, that, and respect than what they're, what they're currently getting. How much can we kind of pull from compound Ave to influx into us? Um, but I don't think I, I beyond that point of that 60 million, like in least in my personal opinion, is not to go ahead and uh, burn more room, like as we did. In, in this current moment, my personal viewpoint is that we can implement the derived asset cap, right? Which is, which which means that we can, with the derived asset cap, we can be much more safe about scaling up further, because it's not we can, we're not going to mint rune beyond the five hundred. We're never going to mint rune the five hundred even now. But we wouldn't mint it into the reserve, right? And, and take 10, 30, 40, 50 million rune from reserve and put more risk on the protocol. And so because of that, I feel a little bit more confident, more securing and scaling above that point. And to be honest, like after after we go through the whole cycle and we've seen the bull, we've seen the bear, we've seen how it fares and the, the ups and the downs and everything like that, and we have the full breadth of information to then make a really informed choice, assuming that everything goes the way that I that I think that I hope that it goes, then we can just remove that fucking cap. And then we can actually really take it off because now now that it's 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 like now that we've proven that lending works in the way that it's supposed to that it's designed to work. We don't even need that necessarily that, that cap necessarily anymore. Other than if you want to protect against like a heavy scenario or a top heavy scenario or the derived assets is worth more than the, the root asset itself. The market cap of the derived assets is higher or a large percentage of the of the market cap itself of, of rune. Other than that kind of like that that cap right there, we can remove the cap of the derived asset because we know that lending is working at that point right and we can take away any concerns that a borrower may have like oh i may get you know partial partial of my my collateral back because you know the room price is down relative to my bitcoin or whatever the fuck it is you know what i mean yeah how, yeah that, that'd be cool that'd be great to go through a full cycle before maxing out the caps um that makes sense um okay i just have a couple other kind of points just kind of things i've jotted down i want to kind of bring up um so in, in Discord, somebody asked, isn't this the way BlockFi, Thero's Capital, and FTX collapsed? And then somebody else replied saying, uh, no, it's because there's no transparency and they're rehypothecating. And I, right. I got to push back on that a bit. Um, the transparency of a trade has zero bearing on its risk of failing. Um, well, that's, so that's, that's not what they're arguing, though. Well, and and... And rehypothecation. It's not the, it's not the, it's not the trans, transparency of the trade. It's the transparency of what's happening with that Bitcoin. Yeah. In, in, in BlockFi's case, they, in, in, in FTX's case, they would just like they would just take that Bitcoin and they would just use it somewhere else in some sort of like gambling ish, you know, you know, scenario or situation or whatever, and they just lost a lot of fucking money. 
all the but other it was the gambling and that and the bet they were making the reason they lost it. It wasn't because they hit it, kept it secret. Um, they could have very well done no. a prudent trade and done something smart with it and been just fine. Um, no, it was kept secret. We didn't we didn't know what the fuck they were doing with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. um, and then the rehypothecation. Um, this is this is lit. The, this Star Chain's lending design is literally the definition of rehypothecation. Um, it's a it's a practice where custodians, such as banks, use assets that have not that have been posted to them as collateral for their own financial gain, such as borrowing money or making other investments. So Thorchain is taking collateral and selling it to make their own investment into Rune. So it's this lending design is rehypothecation. Um, and this is exactly how these other firms collapsed, and even TradFi, um, you know, we're, we're basically shorting Bitcoin. And, you know, we're going along the, the Rune Bitcoin ratio. Really? Well, through the capital, they they were along the GBTC Bitcoin ratio, and you know went against them. Um, so, but at the end of the day, we're shorting Bitcoin. Is basically what we're doing. And you know, could you imagine a tradfi bank shorting Bitcoin? You know, people mock it, they laugh at it. And I'm getting this from investors, right? I'm out, I'm out there. I'm trying to sell this, to you guys. I'm talking to retail, to institutional. They're crypto savvy, they're normies, and everything in between. And I bring up lending, and it's just such a, it's a boner killer. So like, what are you what are you guys doing? You know, that doesn't make any sense. You know, why why would you want to short Bitcoin like that? So um, um, this, you know, it's not, I'm speaking from what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the market tell me, and I'm, I'm relaying this to you guys that. This is yeah. why people like I've had I've met two institutional investors I already own Rune, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Luna 2.0. Like, you know, this is how they're already viewing it and trading it. So, um, um, it's yeah. At the end of the day, this design we're shorting Bitcoin, and that's eventually what all Rune holders will be down the road. And it's going to be a question as a Rune holder or a new Rune investor, do you want to buy into a bank that's short Bitcoin? And I don't think a lot of people are going to want to say yes to that. So it's going to limit the demand for people that want to own and invest in Rune. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. Um, when people are opening up loans, the protocol is using that capital to drive as much value into itself as possible. Right. That's why it's doing it. Right. If we were just to take a loan, if we were to do loan lending in the typical sense, right, of, of compound value where, it's over over uh, collateralized and, and it's liquidations and all this kind of stuff. It wouldn't really drive any purpose or value into the protocol. At least nothing I can think of off my head. At least not, at least not in any kind of significant way. You know what I mean? And so lending here is trying to provide a really a really significant value to the protocol itself and significant value to to swappers and significant value to uh, root holders. Now, if you want to label that as rehypothecation, okay, sure, you can you can apply that label if you want to. Right, but that's what we. But any any bank does in any scenario in TradFi or elsewhere. When you get capital from some ex some ex person, you utilize that capital to be able to drive value into yourself, into your bank, into your thing, or whatever. Right, everybody's doing that. So if you want to say that Fortune is doing something wrong because it does the same thing as like every other fucking market in the world, okay. And that's I find that a little bit I find that a little bit odd, right? But well, just, hold, hold on a sec, Chad. I didn't say. 
Thorstein did something wrong. I'm, I'm just correcting a comment in Discord saying this is not rehypothecation. It is. And I agree with you. It's yeah. what all banks do. And it's, it's yeah. done properly. It's a fine practice. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's, Treadfly's been doing it for, for a century. Um, yeah. I get that. Um, but it always question, the question always remains is, well, what is that trade? What, what are you doing when you're rehypothecating? And that's, so it's, when these firms blow up, it's because they're taking, they're making crazy trades with other people's uh, assets. Right. Because and you're, I'm you're just trying to highlight, we're shorting Bitcoin. And that's, you know, hasn't worked out well over the, the network from the network's position. It's not necessarily shorting Bitcoin. It's trying to use Bitcoin to drive as much value into itself as possible. And by doing so, the room price out inherently, you know, not inherently, I shouldn't say that. By doing so, the, the room price, you know, is, is affected by the mass, you know, loans are being opened theoretically at one point in, in the future. Right. It's not so much that the network is like, trying to short Bitcoin in a sense. It just it knows that it has capital that is exonerous to itself. And it want to utilize that capital to drive value into itself, meaning the rune asset in that particular case. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's half the trade. It, 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 we're shorting Bitcoin and we're longing rune. That's, that's the right. trade. And so as long as the rune to Bitcoin ratio cooperates, we're good. We're fine. We're dandy. As soon as right. it goes against us, like that's the question mark, right? right? That's but, but, that's where that's thing, we like, don't know. That that question mark, I feel more confident about saying. You saying you don't know, I mean, that's fine. For me, I don't. I don't say I don't know. And the reason, I mean, I don't. I can't say it with assurances. I can't say like, oh, it's a hundred percent, blah blah blah. Obviously, I'm not going to say that. But what I can say is that every piece of data of historical, you know, of runes history and outside of runes history of crypto history, aligns to the viewpoint of what, of, of, of where I stand on it. I have all, all the data fucking supports it. Like, I don't, there, there are edge cases where you can point to, like, oh, this, in this particular case, in this particular coin, in this particular moment, it doesn't. Of course. But like 90 something fucking percent of the time is completely aligned with what, where, I'm, where, where my personal viewpoint is. The question, the thing that, that really kind of drives the point here about like when we, we, we think that Bitcoin will outperform Rune is really most likely going to be in the bear markets, right? That's where the danger is. Right of, of of a net mint of rune, and there's a whole series of what of reasoning of like bear markets are, are boring and nobody's really trading or opening loans or closing loans or doing fucking anything because like the whole market just falls asleep for a couple of years in a sense, right? When we talk about being a two hundred percent or one hundred fifty percent LTV it means that one of these loans won't even be closed, and even if they when when people do close it before it kind of reaches that kind of cusp, the amount of rune that needs to be minted back is a lot less because. It's there's not much net difference between those two points. Do you know what I mean? So there's mm -hmm. a whole series of, of of like factual logical reasoning of why a bear market has less risk to the protocol than a bull market does, and we're lopsided to the bull side. We're asymmetric to the bull side, and we won't know this for certain until we've actually like gone up through a bull, gone up through a bear, which we're that that's what we're doing, you know, effectively now. But I, I personally have a high degree of confidence, not 100% certainty, you'll never hear me say that, that it goes in the direction we want to, what you want it to go because all of the historical data of Rune and other assets in the industry as a whole all support this. Okay, so I'm going to push back on that a little bit too. Um, canceling ILP, I kind of view like defaulting on a debt. That's part of the reason why I wanted to keep it is it would remind us that you know, we're going to pay off this liability and, and, you know, before we take on new liabilities, be cautious because 
it was underestimated that ILP would get a control like that. Um, so we had to cancel well, it. Um, no, no, no. Oh, excuse me. That is not the case. It was not, it was not ILP got quote out of control. It's not that um, we had to cancel it because of blah, blah, blah. That's not the case at all. All right. The reason why LP was was canceled is because we provide something else called savers that allowed you to get yield without IL risk. And so the benefits of ILP to the protocol got significantly reduced in a matter of speaking. Now you can argue that the the liability risk in the bear market got to, you know, 15, 17, I think is the highest at its point, which by the way was a lot fucking better than Bancor, who implemented a conceptually similar but different idea where they fucking canceled the entire thing because more more ILP was paid out in like three days than the entire fucking like two three years before like combined in a very short period of time and fucked them over in a very significant way. For us, that was not the case. Did we pay a bunch of ILP out in the bear market? Absolutely, absolutely do. I don't know the exact number top of my head. I'm, I'm going to guess it to be like three million, four million. I don't know the top of my head. I'm going to guess it to be that. Right. The liability got large, but the li- liability also went down back down to zero, proving that the system actually did work. That liability, we expected liability to go high, and we expect liability to go not in the same way for, for loans. Loans are a little bit different because li- liability actually decreases the further you go into a bear market once you hit a certain um, point of like a certain cusp. There's a reason why for that. I'm not going to go into it now because it's a different topic. But like the liability, we expect the liability to go high, but people didn't withdraw loans. I mean, and it did like some small amount, but overall people didn't, even though the yield at the time was quite low, like LP yield was low. People had all the reason to fucking withdraw and they still didn't fucking do it. And and we didn't actually pay out like some massive, crazy, uh, you know, amount of ruin in the end. At least this is not in my opinion. Maybe you have a different opinion on that. So the reason why we canceled is because we don't actually need LP, ILP anymore. We already have a, a non-IL option. We have additional yield going to LPs to, to counteract the IL that the, IL, that the savers, the regular LPs are earning. Right. And ILP went to basically zero. I think it was like sub 100,000, whatever the hell the number was. And it's like we got out of the situation without it, it collapsing to zero. We waited until everything was healthy and good state, proving that the entire system fucking worked to begin with. And then we said, we actually don't need this feature anymore. Okay. Um, and now with savers, I'm, I'm going to argue again the liability is underestimated there because now there's talk about negative interest rates. Right, savers was supposed to be a feature without impermanent loss. You don't have to worry about it. Well, now we've underestimated the leverage savers has in the pools, so we have to have negative interest rates. Um, yeah. So this, this is where I'm going. Is it that it's fine? I'm just saying. Answer that question. We're it's it's impossible. Like all I'm trying to say is we're over two now on estimating liability and leverage. Oh, and, there. over two. Okay. What 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 collapse have we seen? What thing are you? What is the what is the what is the oh, oh like like ILP actually worked? It did I agree. It worked. To, yeah, yeah. It did. It did great. Yeah. And then it, when it it proved itself through a bear market to survive and do well. We could have yeah. kept it going if we really wanted to, but we just made the choice not to because it's it's not worth the extra risk because there's already a mechanism to deal with that. Now savers is a little bit different because in savers case we uh, decided to later on add stable savers. And once we add a stable savers, to me, that's a signal of a significant. We're, we're making the choice to add more risk to the protocol than was originally talked about in the original design. And once we did that, we said, let's now because we're adding more risk to the protocol because we added stable savers, which had a, t- a 10 or 20x, you know, down in a, in a bear market relative to the dollar. 
we need to make some sort of mechanism to, 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 to better suit and take on this additional liability or this additional risk that we're taking on with stable savers. And ever since we launched that feature, I've been talking publicly that like we need to solve this problem at some point in time. So we don't get ourselves into a, a dangerous zone. Could we we over I don't want to say overset, but like we we added more risk without thinking through of the results of that. And I'm trying to talk for 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 a while to convince the community that we need to do something. Now maybe Maybe it's negative interest rates. Maybe it's the haircut idea, which has been floating around. Maybe it's forced ejections. I'm a, I'm a, I have different ideas of which one I feel is better or worse. Any of them would, be, would, would suffice. Any of them would, it would take away the risk from the protocol, and we wouldn't worry about in a bear market, you know, savers, you know, encompassing all the LPs and taking taking all their, you know, positions and whatnot. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, but you, 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 you hit the nail on the head. Um, added a feature without taking into account the risks. I think that's just that's just a gist of. I'd say that I th I'm assuming the the way the minority feels about lending. That we, we just don't know the risk yet. So, if the idea is to kind of just go to this 25 million cap, write it out for the next full cycle, see how it goes, that would be fantastic. Then we genuinely, genu genuinely would have enough data to decide to we uncap it that that'd be great um yeah. if i can say if anything i can say it'd be a great compromise for at least for me anyway that is, is worried about you know lending in the long term um and and just to be clear too like you know i want to be i want to hold rune for the next few decades you know i i view rune as the ultimate you know, running nose as the ultimate passive income play um it's to me rune is like we're going into the next phase of the technology adoption cycle, the, the S-curve, where you know the majority of the population is going to come in, the normies are going to come in, and Rune is exactly what they're looking for. You know, it's an easy sell. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ETF on crypto. Uh, they can earn yield on it. Um, you know, even in the top 50 for them, that's going to be considered a high risk, but it's, it's what they're looking for. For me, with lending, it just, it, it removes that. It, it makes it it makes it risky for them, and then for me, it enforces me to sell at some point, or to or to yeah. trade it. it. It turns ruin from investment into a trade, and so for me, speaking selfishly, I want to be lazy. I want to just buy and forget my ruin, just have have keep it in nodes for the next few decades and collect yield. But now I'm like, you know what? This leverage and liability, I got to trade this. I got to keep an eye on it. I got to look to get out and sit on the sidelines for a year or two before getting back in. So. Um, that's my concern. That's that's why I'm bringing all this yeah, up. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's a valid concern to have, right? And, and I think your concern is is one that other people share as well. Like I'm not trying to dismiss what it is what you're saying. Valid point, right? So we're gonna uh, nodes have already voted. We're gonna burn the sixty million. Yeah. We'll watch lending over the next six months or whatever the time frame is, whatever it's gonna be. And then you know one day we'll hit the caps again. Or if I hope that's the case. And then we'll, the, the network will have to kind of determine what they want to do. And in my opinion, if we're going to, if we're going to go further beyond where we are now in terms of the caps, um, I'm, I'm this moment, at least I'm, I'm open to changing or, or learning some new viewpoints or information, but is to change the cap system to have a derived asset cap, right? So that we, we protect the amount of like net room that can exist like holistically in the sense of it doesn't really matter. And then we create the incentives for people to leave when, they, when we want them to leave to create the balance that we're trying to create in a sense. So, and you, and you can vote at that time, 
with your dollars or your room rather and your nodes or whatever it is you're doing um, to vote against that or vote for it or whatever. But that's definitely going to be a, a worthwhile conversation to be had at that time, whenever that's going to be. For sure. Awesome. Chad, I really appreciate you going over this with me and uh, I'll get off let, let somebody else talk. You're welcome, Ken. Thank cool. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Ken. Uh, and also, like, yeah, I mean, it is pretty early to be talking about, like, completely un uncapping lending and just going forward and, like, you know, just not not yoloing it, but just, like, removing the, the, the training wheels off it because it is a very <laughs> new feature. And this is really the first, like, foray into really scaling it that we're seeing. So there's a lot of data yet to be collected on this. And, like, you know, obviously, like, things are being implemented in a very conservative way where we already have this lending lever that only puts up uh, a third of the, the total rune cap uh, into the amount that can be used as collateral for lending. And obviously like look, raising the uh, raising the CR or uh, you know what I'm saying, but lower, lowering the CR also does that, does the same thing uh, in removing risk from the protocol. And then of course, like what Chad's saying about the derived asset cap uh, that, that, well, like what what that does, and that's something that I've been really looking into as uh, like a really nice uh, feature for, well, I wouldn't really call it a safety mechanism for lending and making it so that the, the borrowers are really taking on some of that uh, that risk where they're not just like, uh, well, if, if you're entering at an inopportune time for the protocol, then you can do that. But it's, uh, you know, it wouldn't be advantageous to you. You might not get your full... Uh, collateral back so like doing just making more safety mechanisms and like really just validating the data that we're going to get over the next scaling period which will probably take you know many months to you know get up to any kind of cap there and just like validating that and see where it's going to go uh it's like the most you know productive way to go forward and of course like you know we're always having the discussions about how to keep features safe and like you know not overscale the protocol on you know, things like savers and, and lending. Cause obviously like, I, I totally agree with you, Ken. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I feel personally the same where it's like, yeah, I just want to buy rune and, you know, keep earning, earning fees from all the trade volume going through the network and, you know, people actually using it to do cool things. So totally in agreement with you there. Yeah. I just want to say thanks to Ken for coming, uh, Ken for coming up and, and raising his viewpoints and, and ideas and, and having a, a, a good hearted conversation um, and debate on the topic. And I do appreciate doing that like in a space because like it's hard to do that shit on Twitter and just 140 characters and whatnot. And it's, even, it's also hard to do it in discord because there's like 12 people talking simultaneously and it's just tricky in that sense. So I, I do appreciate doing it in a, in a forum or a medium where you can really get like have a really good conversation going. Cool, cool. Anyone else got questions? Want to send in any requests? Or you guys have any other topics in the meantime? Uh, I guess so. The only other thing is so, the, like, this whole lending thing was brought about because, you know, this the scaling of lending protocol is already kind of happening right now with the CR being lowered and uh, the 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 standby reserve will be burned to the next Thornode version. And with that, uh, we're also going to see uh, trade accounts, trade assets. So uh, that, that's something to look forward to in the near future, probably the next like two weeks or so. And then we'll see ARB starting to switch over to 
to trade assets, which uh, obviously it takes no fees to get in and out of trade assets and uh, they're twice as capital efficient. So that'll be a cool switch to um, see that moving from the current synthetic asset model, which uses dual liquidity and to the trade account model, which just uses uh, extra space under the liquidity caps. So yeah, we kind of went into it a lot on the last space. So maybe people want to like learn more about uh, trade accounts and trade assets. I'll just go back and, and listen to the last one. Uh, but yeah, unless anyone has any uh, questions or, you know, wants to talk about anything else. Yeah, I don't think anything else I have, I have to top of my mind at least. Cool. Oh yeah. Um, and eat Denver. Um, I, I pinned up the, uh, the event that we're going to do the, the happy hour that's uh, we're doing at eat Denver next week on the 29th. Uh, we're going to the Catbird hotel rooftop, uh, from five thirty to eight thirty uh, mountain time, a uh, local time there in Denver. And so if you guys, if anyone's going to be out in East Denver, then, uh, definitely just RSVP on the Luma and let's, uh, you know, let's get the community out there. There's already a ton of people that already signed up a bunch of people from different protocols and, you know, wallets and just like, you know, people that, that we know in the space and like, obviously it'd be great to have the third chain community out there. We got some, we're gonna have some good, good food, music and drinks and, and company. So it'll be a good time. Yeah, I'll see, I'll see you all there. Anybody showing up, I'll, I'll, I'll see you there as well. We'll hang out and grab a beer, I guess, or whatever. Yes, sir. All right. Sounds good. Well, we'll, uh, we'll call it here, and uh, we'll see you guys uh, next week in Denver. Peace. There you guys. See you guys.